This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Today's guest is the acclaimed documentarian Ken Burns. You uh, you have probably at some point in your life either watched a Ken Burns documentary or certainly know someone who has. He is here today to discuss his latest project, Muhammad Ali. That is a four-part documentary co-directed by Ken, Sarah Burns, and David McMahon, and it will air on PBS from September 19th through the 22nd, and Ken and I have a discussion about the extraordinary life of Muhammad Ali, why the filmmakers decided to embark on a subject that obviously has been covered in many different forms over many, many decades, the challenge of how to produce a documentary like this, when to use Ali as a narrator, when not to use him, the complexity of Ali as a social and political figure, how he uh, might be thought of if he was... uh, an active boxer in 2021, and much more. Ken Burns, the acclaimed documentarian, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, Ken Burns does not need much of an introduction for this audience, but I'll give him one anyway. He's an acclaimed documentarian. Um, You've probably seen his documentaries on baseball or the Civil War, Jack Johnson, many others. His latest is Muhammad Ali. It's a new four-part documentary co-directed by Ken, Sarah Burns, and David McMahon. It will air on PBS September 19th through the 22nd, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. But check your local listings. Obviously, it's PBS, um, depending on where you live in the country, uh, this may air in a different time slot. Uh, and this is, a, uh, this is a documentary that's been in development for six or seven years. And I'm pleased to be joined again by Ken Burns. Ken, thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. My pleasure, Richard. The, the word development is a little bit iffy. That sounds as if you're toying with the idea for six years and then you do it. We've been working on it for uh, at least six years and had agreed to do it. It went into development about eight years ago. And then, you know, six years ago, we actually started production. Now, I appreciate that clarification on that journey, which obviously is indeed long. All right. So let's let's talk about that. Let's start there. Um, so, you know, you, like you said, you decided to do this film, uh, the math is right here. So 2013, and then you be, you literally begin work 
on it uh, you know, shortly thereafter. And this is a question, I've read some previous interviews you've done about this. You're going to get this a lot, but certainly for this podcast purposes, this is where I want to start. Um, why embark on a subject that has been explored by so many in so many forms? Yeah, it's a just it's a great question, and you're absolutely right. There have been so so many documentaries about Muhammad Ali, and some of the best documentaries ever made are about Muhammad Ali. Most of them, though, are about a single fight or about a series of fights or a couple of years in his life. And it is our want, not just mine, but Sarah Burns and David McMahon's, to kind of do a deep dive and comprehensive history. In this case, soup to nuts, you know, from birth and boyhood in. Jim Crow segregated Louisville, Kentucky to death by Parkinson's in 2016. That's not that long ago, five years ago and all in between and and focus, of course, on boxing. That's that's the guy's profession and get down deep into 20 or 25 fights that we do, but also continue that curiosity about the personal life and what made him the relationship with the parents and what it was like to grow up when he grew up, what the influence of Jim Crow and segregated South was on him, his brother, uh, later on, his four wives, his his hangers on, his, his uh, children. Uh, and also, I think... Um, in in a, in a way almost as important as anything is the story of his spiritual journey. We tend merely to just say, oh, he joined this separatist religious cult called the Nation of Islam, which he did, but it was an ongoing and evolutionary process for him in which he brings to the fore in the course of that evolution a, a, a real true uh, belief. Uh, the Nation of Islam bears very little resistance to Islam itself. Uh, it's a kind of hybrid Americanized cult, uh, but it does offer the young Cassius Clay, a kind of important foundation that allows him to deal with and understand all of the roiling history that's bubbling up in the late 1950s and early 1960s, particularly uh, for a young black man. And it's it's an amazing story filled with nuance and undertow and complication and controversy. And we were just very interested in in not just sort of mentioning it, uh, but but following it as a through line that this guy dies, the most beloved person on the planet. And one of the reasons is not that he was a great boxer. It was because he had appealed to and inspired and been courageous and had gained a kind of freedom that permitted him to uh, influence people, not just in the United States, particularly black people, uh, but many, many other uh, groups, but also to inspire people around the world in sub-Saharan Africa and Saharan Africa and the Middle East and, and Asia, uh, where he was uh, held up rightfully as someone who seemed to be speaking for the oppressed, people who had felt the boot of the man on their neck. Ken, um, it strikes me that one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge of this, is you ha you the documentary that you guys have done is separated into four parts. It's, it's, um, it's given to us as viewers chronologically, but the reality is, and you know, this, like you could do a four hour documentary on a single Muhammad Ali fight. You could do a 20 hour documentary. I would think on Muhammad Ali and the role of religion in his life. So you at a certain point have to make these decisions as, as editors and so this is sort of a two-part question. One, why the decision to do it chronologically? And two, how challenging was it just to edit down a life that 
really some very small minor parts of that life could be explored um, with significant length. No, oh, Richard, what a wonderful, what a wonderful, complex, excellent question. Um, you know, uh, chronological is the way, you know, uh, Shelby Foote once told me God is the greatest dramatist, which is a way of saying, and then, and then, and then. That's the way people tell stories. Sure, certainly there, you can do flashbacks. And we've got flashbacks. We learn about uh, Elijah Muhammad's history. We learn about, uh, uh, you know, Joe Frazier's history. We go back and do minor little things. But mostly it is a straightforward chronology, as are all of our films, are, as are most stories told that way. So chronology, let's just set that to rest. But what you've hit on is the central thing. It is presumed that a film like architecture is additive, that you're just building a house. And if that's true, then on every house that we build, we bring about 50 or 60 times the amount of building material we need to build that house. It's not. It's a subtractive process. We, we have a four-part, eight-hour film in which we collected hundreds, four or 500 hours of footage of Muhammad Ali talking or, or, or fighting or whatever. We conducted ourselves dozens and dozens of interviews that lasted you know, hundreds of hours. We collected 15,000 photographs. Early on, we presumed it would be a three-part series. I don't know why. We just sort of felt the goalpost divided that way, but almost immediately we thought four. And uh, it seemed to work out perfectly. You're absolutely right that at any moment you could could open up a moment and do something else. In fact, there's a feature film that was released one night in Miami that covers two sentences uh, at the very end of our first episode. That was after he beat Sonny Liston, he went back to the all black Hampton house and ate ice cream with Malcolm X. And later that night, he, Malcolm, the singer, Sam Cooke, and the football player and activist, Jim Brown talked all night long about what he would do now. And, you know, that was a whole Regina King made a wonderful film just from those two sentences, not not inspired by us, of course, but by the knowledge of what went on. And her film was also filled with flashbacks. But, you know, we we adhere to chronology and you're absolutely right. You know, he's born in Louisville, Kentucky. So let me use a bourbon analogy. It is it is so hard to distill. Why it takes so long for us to do our projects, 10 and a half years on Vietnam, is that we have so much material which we want to distill. Could you go in other directions? Of course. Could you take a moment and open it up and do another film? Yes. But we're interested also in you know, what we've done. Uh, and I think that the fights are well represented. I think that the, the spiritual life is well represented. The decline is well represented. The personal life is well represented. And so it's for us about balance and calibration, a kind of respiration and inhalation and exhalation in the pacing and rhythm of it. And, you know, it's a musical uh, kind of uh, thing that we're talking about, a beat and a rhythm to someone who has an incredible rhythm and an incredible beat, who is a poet himself, you know, anticipating song and meter and things like that. So, you know, we just paid attention to the material and it helped us understand what we're going to do. We also had some very, very talented editors working with us. There are so many parts of the documentary where uh, Muhammad Ali carries the film. And when I say carries, just like you're seeing uh, footage of him, like his press conference before the Sonny Liston fight or, you know, him trash talking 
uh, Joe Frazier, uh, prior to those fights, interviews as him as a young boxer, like when he's uh, heading to the Olympics in Rome, which uh, just, I mean, stuff I had not seen either in a long time or never saw, which was just fascinating. Um, he's so compelling, obviously, and one of the sort of the, one of the foremost traits of Ali as a young person is just how incredibly glib and smart and quick he is. So when you and the, um, when you, David and Sarah, can are sort of, thinking about how to present this to the audience is there is it um how do i sort of phrase it is it hard not to overuse muhammad ali as a narrator because he's just so compelling and the footage every time he's on screen talking is compelling yeah yeah that's one of the one of the many many obstacles to making a good film is that when you have such a compelling figure so handsome so beautiful and he knows it and such a a perfect specimen and such a great athletic accomplishment and so quick with the words um, and, or the poetry or the braggadocio, what we found is that there's a rhythm to how much you can do. And what we did do in our deep dive is discover lots of soft-spoken aspects to him where he's incredibly thoughtful that belies the kind of conventional wisdom of the early years just being about that braggadocio and the trash talking and the poetry and things like that and where he where he's very very reflective and there are moments right after the not before but right after the liston fight and the next morning or later on when um, it's very clear that the nation of Islam isn't approving of his athletic stuff. They find sports frivolous. And he says, well, I may quit boxing. And somebody says, you give it up. And he goes, yeah, but I know that I have a purpose here. And you felt that from the very beginning, from a little kid, you felt that he had a purpose and a kind of independence and a desire for freedom. So while this figure, this story intersects with all the major themes of the second half of the 20th century, that is to say, the role of sports in society, the role of black athletes, the definition of black manhood and black masculinity, civil rights, politics, war, faith, religion, Islam. It's really about freedom and courage and love. And freedom is really tough for a black man in the United States to escape the specific gravity of the kind of imprisonment that the dominant culture imposes on black people. And it's about courage because he was willing and did sacrifice everything for three and a half years at the height of his, his career. And yet all through it, being told how bad he was, being told how evil he was, being you know scolded for being in a supposedly a hate group, he nonetheless expressed a kind of love and became a kind of apostle of love, especially at the end of his life, that you cannot um, ignore. And, and we tried not to do that. And so you find all these little gems in between, and then they offer little oases between the cacophony of all of the stuff. And the story goes on, and it, it needs what it needs. And the people that are commentating are, are, are doing what they're doing. It's very... It's a very interesting process. It's why it takes so many years. In fact, if you just came in and observed the last month of editing, it's me and Sarah and Dave doing something like, could you shorten that by two frames? That's a twelfth of a second. Or could you extend that four frames? That's a sixth of a sentence. Or hold that a beat more. Maybe it's 12, a half a second. Um, you know, we're really making tiny adjustments. In fact, we begin to employ the language of music. Uh, to describe things, because I think all art forms, I mean, music, as Wynton Marcel said, is the art of the invisible. It's the only invisible art form. Um, and I think all the other arts, as great as they are, must aspire somewhere in their 
our hearts, as my brother Rick likes to say, that when they die and go to heaven, that they, they're, they're reborn as music. And I think for me as a filmmaker, I've spent my entire life um, uh, unintentionally using musical analogies as, 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 as we direct the editing. And so, you know, you, you find a way to, to have what you need. There's a wonderful moment after the Supreme Court liberates him from his prison sentence on a technicality. He has that opportunity to gloat. And somebody sticks a microphone in his uh, mouth and says, what do you think about the system? And he doesn't quote, gloat. He says, I don't know who's going to be assassinated tonight. I don't know who's going to suffer from injustice and inequality. He's thinking about the 350 years of mistreatment of black people in America past Emmett Till, whose mother had the courage to leave his brutalized, tortured, mutilated body with an open casket so the world could see what racism and Jim Crow did to black children in America, all the way back to 1619, and in a ways forward through names that we hadn't yet learned, like Rodney King and Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and the list is endless. And you just stop and you go, my God, this guy's still in his 20s, I think. And he has this wisdom, this preternatural wisdom that has been present there. And you realize that in these moments, he is offering up us up examples of courage and models of heroism that are inspiring to this day. Towards the end of the film, when Howard Bryant, the great writer, is having a, a valedictorial moment about Ali, we cut away to a protest on the Brooklyn Bridge, a still photograph. And we deliberately don't tell you what the protest is about, but we're sort of slowly zooming in on a, a black woman who is wearing a black t-shirt and on it in simple white letters are the words Muhammad Ali. All she needed to attend that demonstration was something that said these two words, Muhammad Ali, which meant freedom, which meant courage, which meant love. And that to me is the rationale for why you would spend so many years of your life getting to know this amazing human being. He's you know, one of the most fascinating, if not the most fascinating person I've ever had the privilege to try to learn about and study and, and, and bring back a story of. I have uh, one more specific to the film, and then I want to ask you about Ali and sort of more of a modern day um, complex. I, I know some of the um, subject matter that you've done documentaries on. So, you know, you, you've covered war and death and, you know, sort of humanity's worst. Within that, though, I have to admit, Ken, watching the last chapter of the film and seeing all these fights after the Foreman fight, you know, that brutal Frazier fight, the third one, and, you know, you kind of hope that Ali would have retired after either the Foreman fight or the Frazier fight, and then it's the two Spinks fight and the Holmes fight and the Burbick fight, and... Ernie Frazier and uh, Ernie Shavers, I'm sorry. And obviously then it, it sort of eventually ends, but that that's hard to watch because like one of the things that I found as a viewer, and I don't know if you wanted the viewer to discover this without sort of like hammering it over the person's head, but you could slowly see Ali's cadence in his speech. You could slowly see just from the clips that you showed the speech start to slow, the mind not working uh, as fast, at least in terms of sort of processing and verbalizing speech. And it's not easy to watch. And you do obviously have some great um, writers and, 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 and just uh, thinkers who come in and sort of tell you that it's not hard to watch. But man, uh, I wonder just what it was like in the editing booth for you guys, because like, you know, you could see this 
process in, in, in happening in front of you? Yeah, I don't know what, what my luck was, but two films in a row with a different producing team uh, and, and a co-director, Lynn Novick, on, on Ernest Hemingway. We had the same excruciating last half of the third episode where his decline, his dementia, whatever you want to call it, the madness, uh, was sort of taking over Ernest Hemingway. And that didn't end well. It is excruciating and you learn how to calibrate it and understand it. But it's important to see that. It's important to see that this hero uh, had the problem that many great figures have, which is they don't know when to say stop. And you do want it to end, particularly after the third Frasier, the thriller in Manila, the closest thing to death, Ali said. It's just one of the most spectacular fights, not for its um, the fact that Ali won and, and it was the rubber match of two previous fights, but just the sheer kind of brutality of it all uh, and what they were willing, these two men, to leave in the ring, almost their entire life force. And, and then that's where, you know, the, the, the good ending happens, but it doesn't. And, and yet, in a way, by the further punishment and then the encasing in the Parkinson's, he ends up... Um, becoming this world figure at such an extraordinary uh, way. I mean, he's already beloved around the world, but he becomes an ambassador uh, of his faith, but an ambassador of peace and love. And so part of the, the I don't know how to put it, it's not the reward, but you do have to live through some pretty excruciating stuff for a few minutes in order to kind of burst out into the sunshine of the other side, because he dealt with it. Nothing could be as excruciating as what he had to deal with every day, and he transcended it. And so I think there's a further story, a further inspiration, a further lesson in, in what happens in that very last chapter of his story, which can be superficially just characterized as decline, and it is physically, but it's actually a kind of opening up spiritually and, and with regard to his world regard yeah and i'll point out just for the people who will ultimately watch it um you know Ket, the, the filmmakers do not shy away from uh ali's womanizing which was rampant in uh throughout his entire life um the people that can interviews including uh two of his former wives or maybe three of his former uh, uh two of his former wives um they talk openly about it so it's it's um that part of the the story is covered and then i would say just for people listening um the uh uh, the boxer and playwright Michael Bent. Am I pronouncing his last name right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's amazing. He's, 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 he's our to... secret weapon. We embedded yeah. him within every fight. He exists every single time he's on. He's with in a fight, except for the very last one when uh, he hears he's about so Muhammad. Cap- and what he does yeah, he's, is he's he's so great. He's an intermediary for those of us who are not necessarily boxing fans, or find or worse, find boxing brutal, which it is. And he kind of helps us with the strategy and tactics, but goes beyond that kind of inside baseball talk to the psychology, the wills, the hearts, the the dynamics of a particular fight within a round and between the rounds. And so he's an amanuensis. He helps us interpret these fights. And being a boxer himself, he is super close to what's happening. And in many of his comments are real-time observations of the fight. That is to say, he is commenting on what we are seeing at that moment. And, and it helps us, um, in a way, ground at least the boxing part, which is the largest component of the film, in, 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 a, in a place in which you can, um, if you're willing, 
understand why this very brutal sport is, is also called the sweet science. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So here's the last thing I want to ask you, Ken, um, and, and I think your sort of thought on this would be pretty fascinating. Uh, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, is obviously a product of his time. Um, the decisions he made, what he believed in, obviously, you know, the Vietnam War is uh, is prominent in his story. And I thought to myself, um, in a 2021, you know, 2022 construct, like, could this athlete even exist? Because we now live in a world of social media. I mean, my God, as you've mentioned, we live in a world of disinformation and paranoia and conspiracy. We also live in a world where athletes probably, I think, financially have to be a little, you know, have to, there's a lot of risk, I guess I would say, as Colin Kaepernick saw in terms of being sort of public on on politics and race and other stuff. So I wonder, just as have you, as you were putting this film together, if you thought about whether like an Ali could even exist today. Could that person exist in 2021? Well, no, because he doesn't. And that's the way you have to take it. You know, I've since my whole professional life, people say, what if the Confederacy won the Civil War? Or what if this happened? Or what if that happened? And and you've got to leave that for the parlor games after a few drinks, you know. Um, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, he, if he wasn't, you know, uh, beset by the Parkinson's, um, might have, or if he had been born a little bit later, I, I don't know what the system would have done. But let's put your excellent question into context. He risked everything, everything. He was willing, as he said, to face a firing squad rather than to go against his faith. And that was he refused induction. And it cost him three and a half years of the height of his his professional career. Now, other people have done that. Smith and Carlos at the 68 Uh, Mexico City Olympics raised their fist and disappeared. Kurt Flood in baseball tried to go against the plantation system, the reserve clause that had enslaved both uh, white as well as black players from the very beginning of the professional sport, and he was disappeared. It took two white guys, Messerschmitt and McNally, along with Marvin Miller, to finally break the grip of the the reserve clause in that plantation system. And, And you do have an example of Colin Kaepernick now, who hasn't thrown a football in a real game in a long time. But he still has a Nike contract. Muhammad Ali was dipping into his second wife, Belinda, later known as Kalila's college fund in order to survive. And that kind of thing, that kind of courage, the courage to say, I would rather die than go against, is something that the scholar Sherman Jackson says in our film, you know, 
you you just can't teach that. It becomes a kind of um, model, uh, you know, that people have to take on themselves. And you begin to realize how incredibly influential, how incredibly um, uh, inspirational Muhammad Ali is. So, you know, the debate here now is so superficial. You know, an owner of an NBA team, she says, shut up and dribble. I mean, Obviously, she hadn't read the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. Anybody has the right to speak their mind. And I'm very happy that athletes who are, you know, gazillionaires have the chance to speak their minds about social justice. And many of them are inspired by those who went before them, the Jackie Robinson that, it, that went the generation before Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so these are people who have spoken out. But what, what is at the heart of Muhammad Ali's story is not only how great he is, he was the greatest, but how courageous and brave he was, how much he risked and how much he sacrificed in order to be himself. And as Howard Bryant says, even when it may not be right. He insisted on being himself. And that's the story that we want to tell. And it, and it really is not immaterial because I think we in the present have to think about what we inherit from him, uh, what we inherit, not just in our memories, if we were lucky enough to be alive when he was, as I was. I, I remember my dad telling me about the Rome Olympics when I was seven and his gold medal. Um, but 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 how the legacy continues to influence athletes all around the world, how it inspires their own courage, how they then find their sport as a platform to begin to address issues of social justice and all of the disparities. They are taking their own moment again to do what Muhammad Ali did when he had a chance to gloat about his victory with the Supreme Court and didn't, and instead spoke to the continuing story of injustice in the United States specifically, but by implication in the world. And that's what makes him such an extraordinary, transcendent figure. The Civil War, baseball, the National Parks, the Roosevelt's, the Vietnam War, country music, and now Muhammad Ali, uh, Ken Burns, the filmmaker, along with Sarah Burns and David McMahon, uh, are the directors of a new four-part documentary, uh, Muhammad Ali. It airs on PBS September 19th through the 22nd, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, although check your local listings. Uh, Ken, I, as always, appreciate your work um, and the work of uh, David and Sarah as well. Best of luck with this doc and, uh, and the promotion for it. And thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's been my pleasure. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Ken Burns for his time. Uh, check out uh, Muhammad Ali on PBS. Uh, I watched it. I thought it was uh, a phenomenal piece of work. Previous podcast guests prior to Ken, Gus Johnson and Aqib Tlaib of Fox Sports on their new NFL partnership, Kevin Clark of The Ringer, Sports Media Roundtable with Kavitha Davidson and Chad Finn, ESPN College Football Reporter Molly McGrath and New York Times Tennis Writer Chris Clary, WWE Seth Rollins. Head to the uh, Richard Deitch Sports Media Archives page, or Sports Media with Richard Deitch, I should say, Archives page. Uh, leave us a five-star review and uh, a nice note if, uh, if you like this. That, that is how this podcast continues, and uh, that stuff does matter. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti, as always, for his help. Thanks to everybody Cadence 13. Most of all, thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you soon on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.